You are listening to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, where women who are ready to expand their life adventure discover the tools to stop playing small and tap into the courage required to enjoy their second wind. One of the great things I think about going on all these different journeys that we go on in our lives is that we, you know, we had the high school years, we had the college years, we had the years after that we are connected with people. Well, my story starts with this gentleman that's going to be on our show today, Robert McPhee, back in the day when I first sat next to a lady in a workshop in Sedona, Arizona, and she said she had a workshop, get out of your own way. Now, I had just gone through a transition of 23-year marriage that ended, and so I was trying to find Joyce again. And just, I was just a mess. So anyway, she led me to the Jack Canfield group. And from there, I did go to her workshop, which was awesome, which was comprised of a lot of the Jack Canfield work. But then when Jack Canfield came to Dallas, Texas, I joined his group as well to start studying with him. Moving on quickly, the first time that I went, to one of Jack's workshops, which were in Scottsdale, Arizona, I met this gentleman, Robert McPhee. And I'm going to let Robert tell his own story, but he's an awesome guy. And it was like one of those moments, you remember when you went to the class reunion and you got to see all your old friends? Well, this is one of those moments. So I reconnected with Robert at another workshop uh, through uh, the internet. And so we're, I'm so delighted to welcome him to the show today. But let me tell you about him because he's not just the Jack Canfield. He didn't just work with Jack Canfield, but he is a speaker, an author, a coach, and a consultant. And he helps people understand how to deal effectively with change. He has authored the Manifesting for Non-Guru book and the Partner Journal. He is the creator of Excellent Decisions Leadership Program, showing people how to make decisions based on their vision and values. Former director of training for Jack Canfield, Jack is the co-creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series, and the author of the book, The Success Principles. Founding member also of Transformational Leadership Council, and Robert is also co-founder of the Southern California Association of Transformational Leaders. Now, these are two really distinguished groups of uh, world-leading authorities in the development World, so there you are. I'm just in amaze of amazement of everything that you do, Robert McPhee. Well, I'm just tired <laughs> listening to you reading that. That explains why I'm so tired. I've I've had a lot going on. <laughs> you have, man. Oh man. No, we should we should all read our bios every morning, don't you think? Like every morning when we get up. <laughs> but I couldn't. I couldn't drop one thing. They're all so significant, and so. Well, it's, in all seriousness, it's it's a reminder to me of how blessed I've been. I've been around this work for the past 20 years. You were talking about your first introduction to uh, through our mutual friend, Catherine Bach, and, and her workshop. And Catherine and I had worked closely supporting Jack and his work. And uh, when I first showed up to, to do work with Jack, I was running a parking company. You know, it's like you never, ah. you never know. Um, <laughs> and I was meeting all these people who were like the director of education for the state of Nebraska and, uh, you know, yeah. Positive psychology experts and scientists and all these government officials and educators and stuff. And like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I run a parking company. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, but it, it fundamentally changed the way my partner and I ran our business, the way we dealt with people. It fundamentally changed. Uh, I wasn't, well, actually I was a parent at the time. I think, uh, the first two of my three children were very young and, and I think my wife was pregnant with our third when I went to that workshop, but it fundamentally changed the way I showed up as a parent. And um, 
and again, just hearing you read that reminds me how blessed I've been to work with Jack and other amazing people over the last 20 years. Yeah. So why did you decide to go to Jack? I went there because I was just simply Catherine following what Catherine said to do. How did you make that decision? You know, I, um, I actually, when I was running this parking company, I went to a one day workshop. I don't, it was one of these like skill path yeah. or career track or something like that. And, and yeah. at some point in the workshop, they always, you know, hawk the tapes and the stuff, stuff. Let's tell you how long ago it is. And, uh, the woman who was leading the workshop, who I still know to this day, uh, stay connected with her on Facebook. Um, she held up a set of Jack's tapes, you know, it's, again, it's how long mm-hmm. it goes, eight cassette tapes. Yes. And it was about, uh, she said, uh, I'll never forget this. She said, um, Jack Canfield believes that all of our problems on some level are connected to our self-esteem. And I just said exactly what you just said. I said, hmm, yeah, that's that's kind (laughs) of true with a capital T, right? Like, hmm, I can't argue with that. And then she said, we take credit cards. I got a 30-day money-back guarantee. And I was like, what the heck? I'll try it. You know, that sounds interesting. And I I bought those tapes, and I listened to them for probably a year. And there was uh, a part of the tapes where Jack is talking about you should thank the people who have made a difference in your life. You know, you should express gratitude. It's one of the principles that he teaches. And I thought, you know, I should thank him because these tapes have really helped me. I should thank him. So I wrote him a letter and uh, and said, you know, thank you so much. These tapes have really made a difference in my life and I've learned so much and it's impacting, you know, my business and my personal life. And I I really appreciate it. And, And I think I put something in there about, you know, someday I'd like to be doing something like what you do. I'd like to make the kind of difference that you made for me. Yeah. And I thought he wrote me back. I now know probably, you know, it wasn't him who wrote me <laughs> yeah. back. It was probably someone in his office, but someone like me. Yes. <laughs> um, but they wrote me back and they said, thank you so much. And if you really are interested in getting into this work, they gave me some suggestions and, you know, join Toastmasters. And, and, uh, and one of the things they suggested was to come to their week-long training that they do every summer. Mm-hmm. And again, I was like, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. No, a week in Santa Barbara. So I did. I oh, went. And, and it was one of those things where, you know, one little, you know, I bought a set of tapes and then I wrote a letter and then I went to this workshop and then, and you know, the week long workshop, you, you went, you went to it, you know, it's, it's so much in a week. I actually went back the following year and then my wife went the year after that. And, um, then I started volunteering to support Jack and his work because it had made such a difference in my life. And, mm-hmm. Uh, then I was asked to coordinate the volunteers, which is part of the way that you and I connected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> whatever, 15 years later, I was the director of training for his organization. And people used to ask me, like, I want your job. I want to do something like what you do. I want to be on stage with Jack, you know. Yes. Like, oh, yes. yeah, it's easy. No problem. You buy a set of tapes. You wait two years. You write a letter. You know, <laughs> like it, it, it takes, uh, you know, one bite at a time, right? It does. Yeah. But how awesome that that you took those all those initiatives to go there. I mean, you did that because inside somebody something was saying more. I need more. I need more. And so we just kind of follow that path, don't we? In getting yeah, there. and I I think in alignment, you know, your your branding is around second wind, and my branding is around this concept of of excellent decisions. But there's a lot of similarities in terms of of realizing that there's more and realizing that we want to live our lives fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, one of the definitions of success that I work with is, is around happiness and the ancient Greek definition of happiness, which is the experience of joy while in pursuit of your potential. And mm-hmm. as human beings, I believe that's kind of the name of the game. We want to experience joy. We want to have fun, but we also have a sense of potential of, of accomplishing more of, of doing more and, and having better experiences in our life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just natural. And, uh, you know, I was listening to you and I, I've heard you before talk about your story of, of going through a divorce and, and not letting it beat you down, but looking up and seeing that there was more for you. And, and it was the same kind of thing for me. I, you know, I was running this company. It was going great. My partner and I had this incredible entrepreneurial success story. <laughs> but there was a sense of wanting more, you know, and to make a difference. And the reason I wrote that letter to Jack was I I had the experience. I felt in my body the difference his work had made in my life. 
And it was different than parking someone's car, you know, like there was, there was something bigger going on there. And I felt compelled to kind of lean into that and see, you know, could I do something like that on some level? And, you know, in one step at a time, it led to, um, working with him for quite a long period of time. And and then since 2010, being out on my own, doing similar work. Oh, when were we working together? Oh, come on. We don't want to ask questions like that, do we? That, that, makes, long that makes us do the realize how oh. long. I, well, I worked with Jack for, I first went to his training in 1997 and started volunteering with him in like 2001. And, and again, it was a, it was a one step at a time kind of a path, yeah. but I was the director of training for Jack probably from about 2004 to 2010, something like that. So it's probably in that range that you and I were playing together. Really? Wow. Wow. Where did the years go? (laughs) You must have, do you just, anywhere you travel, you must see people that just walk up and say, hi, I was in year da 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 da. You know, it's right. funny. I have that. I have that happen in two ways. I told you I used to run this parking company, and my friend and I started this parking company in San Diego, and and it grew like crazy. We ended up having like within about eight years, we had over six hundred employees, and Whoa. we had a tremendous amount of turnover. It was all young people, yeah. you know, mostly young men, uh, you know, surfing and parking cars. That was their life. And uh, and when I'm in San Diego, I will have people come up to me and go, "Oh, Robert McPhee." You used to run Sunset Parking Service, right? I used to work for you. <laughs> like, <whoa. laughs> and and I do have the same thing happen to me. I will meet people, not so much traveling, but I will meet people in the online environments. You know, today yes. in the world that we live in, spending so much time on Zoom calls and webinars, and actually very much like the way you and I reconnected. You know, yeah. we have a mutual friend, uh, Melanie Benson, who's doing remarkable work, and um, I'm staying connected to her. You're staying connected to her, and we ended up on a webinar together. And I was like, hey. Joyce Buford, I know her. <laughs> I know her. Yeah. I know. Did you have that same like high school reunion type of feeling? No, yeah. it was nothing. No. It was nothing like a high school reunion <laughs> feeling for me because it was a positive experience to see oh, you. So uh, high school, oh, oh. high school for me was nothing that I would want to go back to. It's funny. I was talking to my kids last night. I'm a, I'm an empty nester, but um, I have all three of my children home right now. Actually, my mom passed away about six weeks ago, and uh, we have a family only memorial service we're doing this coming weekend. So all three, mm-hmm. the, the bright side of that is that all three of my children are home right now. And, uh, and we were talking last night about, for, for whatever reason, I don't know how it came back. You know, there's a lot of old photos floating around and stuff. But me in high school, I, I was a total late bloomer and I was completely lost. Like I, I just, I couldn't keep up. It was just like, it was not an experience that I would want to go back to. And, and it really is. It's completely different. You know, when I think of those years working with Jack and working with people like you and the teams of people that we had and the way that people showed up and the, mm-hmm. the environment that we had created to support the work, but also have the people who were volunteering and helping get an incredible experience out of it. It's, it's still one of the most profound leadership experiences that I've ever had in my life. And I do leadership development, change management work right now. And I, I often reflect back on if all leaders were having the kind of experience leading their teams that I was having leading those teams of knowing that you were making a very real difference, that you were on purpose um, and, and the sense of, of getting a lot done, but having it be effortless and, and people checking their egos at the door and no drama or anything, um, that leadership experience was very much what I would want. And, and there really was a formula to it. There were there were very specific things that we were doing. Uh, to create that experience and make right. it replicatable. I mean, we did it year after year. You said those those trainings were in Scottsdale, Arizona, in the middle of August or July. It was 120 degrees outside. <laughs> and people who were on our assisting teams were, were coming for a week-long training. They were paying for their own travel. They were paying for their own hotel. They were coming in a day early to help set up. They were arriving in the room early every day. They were staying late every day to set up and, and to break down. And at the end of the week, you'd think they would all, like, you know, line me up with firing squad and shoot me or something but <laughs> instead they were begging to come back the next year and do it again because of the experience yeah. that we created for yeah. the sense of community with the groups that were doing it together and and i think even more well 
two other things. One would be the sense of really making a difference. Like they knew when they had left that they had made a very real difference in the lives nice. of those participants. Yeah. And, and they also knew that they were really appreciated. Like they knew that from Jack, they knew that from me, and they knew that from the participants that they didn't leave wondering if anyone appreciated what they did. They knew. And uh, around this work, we hear a lot of conversation about gratitude and appreciation. But those experiences really taught me, you know, you can pay people more money. We could have come up with a stipend or we could have paid for hotel rooms. But I don't think that would have done anything close to getting people to want to come back and do it again as as what they were already experiencing with the, the true, deep, sincere gratitude and appreciation, that knowing that they were making a very real difference in other people's right. lives. Right. Yeah, it was a powerful experience. I went, I think I was with y'all for four or five years. And, and there was such a community that was built around that environment. I mean, I still have, I'm still in touch with my accountability partner. I'm still have, you know, it's part of my life. So it's affected me even today. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Really. You know. Well, and, and the shared experiences that people had, you know, the sense of, wow, I mean, you could almost palpably feel it in the room of those trainings of the sense of, wow, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who feels like I'm not enough. I'm not the only one who's struggling to make things work. I'm not the only one who doesn't have it all figured out. Um, and and right. to share those experiences and, and make progress with a group of people and you know, our teams were supporting participants, but participants were also supporting each other. I mean, you know, Jack's work and, and the work that I learned from him and do now is all very mm-hmm. experiential and interactive. It's not about, you know, Ferris Bueller's teacher getting up there and blah, 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 blah. It's called get a partner, get into a conversation, get up, move around the room, do an exercise, learn the concept, but then experience it in your body. Mm-hmm. And, and that whole pattern of doing that, of, of learning the concept, but then doing exercises and activity to really get it in our bodies and then debrief it and share the experience with others. In my experience, I think that's where that sense of community comes from. Yeah. And, and it's funny compared to high school reunion. Uh, that was not my experience in high school. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, and I have gone to a couple of reunions and walked away shaking my head going, yeah, well, this is the still, last one. I'm never yeah, coming still back. No. Still no. <laughs> now you mentioned earlier that you went on and created your own company out of after you left Jack. And so tell us about what you created, which was you'd already created part of it. But you just built on your base. Yeah. Right? And um, well, I had just written a book right, uh, right about the time um, that that I split from the work that I was doing with Jack. I had written a book. The book was called Manifesting for Non-Gurus. You mentioned it uh, as a book, and it also has a partner journal because I'm very committed. I, I really don't want my book to become what my friend Jim Bunch calls shelf help, uh-huh. which is people buy the book and they stick it on the shelf, but they never read it and, or never get any benefit from it. So I created a journal that people can use to actually implement the work. Um, and I started doing uh, coaching mostly and and some workshop type type work and i did some work in the health and fitness industry and 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 i was kind of bouncing around trying to make it work and and it took me several years i won't tell you the specific number because it's kind of embarrassing but it took me let's just say a while uh to realize that manifesting for non-gurus is a clever title but it's actually a horrible brand and the reason it's a horrible brand just in terms of business like the the title was intended to to point out the fact that all of us can manifest, you know, this idea of creating results quickly and easily and kind of things happening magically in our lives. You know, did the right person just showed up or I got the right amount of money when I needed it? Those kinds of kind of stories are absolutely possible. And I believe we're all creating them in our lives all the time and that we don't need to be a guru. You don't need to go to India and live in a cave and, you know, chant the right mantras for 10 years in order to learn how to do this. Truthfully, I believe that we're all doing this every single day with the way we think, the way we, the beliefs we hold about ourselves and the world around us, and then the actions that we take. We, we create results and we create experiences. And, uh, and so I, that was the idea, you know, manifesting and you don't need to be a guru. But the truth is people from a business point of view, people who are leaders and working in organizations and already have a, enough success where they can afford to pay for the kind of work that I do, 
they really weren't interested in manifesting. They really, they really weren't interested in being a guru or hanging out with a guru or anything. So there was nothing about the language that was attractive to them. Um, and it really wasn't until it, it kind of emerged from some work I was doing with some young people, some college students. And we had a, a lot of conversation about the decisions that they were making. And I looked at my own kids who were in college at the time, and I saw that they were doing really, really well, not just what they were accomplishing, but they were thriving in really high pressure environments. You know, mm-hmm. colleges these days all got into really good schools. So they, they were in right. really high pressure, high stress environments. You know, there's yeah. peer pressure, social pressure, academic pressure. Um, there wasn't so much parental pressure because again, you know, I, <laughs> I tell people I had an unfair advantage as a parent because I was hanging out with Jack Canfield while my kids grew up. Right. And most, most parents don't get to do that. Um, so they didn't have a lot of pressure from my wife and I, but, but very high stress, very high pressure environments. Mm-hmm. And I came up with this concept that I called excellent decisions, which was about making decisions based on vision and values rather than stress and pressure. And it fit right in. It was really the same work that I was already mm-hmm. doing with the, with the manifesting for non gurus. I actually retitled my book and, uh, I had stickers made. I still had, you know, thousands of books in the fulfillment house. So I, I had stickers made and I just, when I send someone my book, I put a sticker on the cover and it's now called Excellent Decisions instead of Manifesting for Non-Gurus. Because it's really, it's the same core work. It's that work around your beliefs about who you are and the habits that you have and the thoughts that you think and how that determines the decisions you make and the actions that you take. And it's those decisions and actions that ultimately you know, lead to the results we get and the experiences we have and whether we're living that experience of joy while in pursuit of your potential or, you know, living that, you know, stressful anxiety life that, that so yeah. many people are living. So it's really the same work, but now it's called something different. Mm-hmm. And it has been for the last, gosh, I guess it's three or four years now. And that made a fundamental difference. So, so for me as a business person to go from my, my branding being around my book, called Manifesting for Non-Gurus to all of my work being focused on excellent decisions has created the opportunity to work with more groups, to leverage my work, to work with organizations, to work with higher level people. Because when I talk to them about excellent decisions, they say, ooh, that sounds interesting. (laughs) That sounds like something I need to do more of. And, And the whole conversation about decisions being made based on What's really important to us, you know, we have, we all, to some degree, some people have really worked on it and are very clear about it and other people, not so much, but we have a vision, like what we want we have, Hi. you know, something we'd like to change more of something, less of something. And, um, and we have values and, and really the core of my work now is diving into vision and values because I believe if people are really clear about their vision. Like where they're, where they are now, what, what they want to accomplish and how that's going to impact all different areas of their life. And then their values, like why? You want to make more money? That's great. I have no problem with that. Why? Don't just do it for the money because the money will never make you happy. But if you want to make more money so you can have more time with your kids, now we're talking. We can work on that. (laughs) If you want to make more money because it creates the freedom for you to travel because travel isn't seeing the world is the most important thing to you. Great. We can work with that. But we see, I'm sure you see the same thing. We see way too many people who make all sorts of money and they're miserable. And, oh, yeah. and they think if they would make more money, then they'll be happier. <laughs> and there, there's plenty of science now that says, be careful. That's <laughs> not a great, it's not a great path. Well, we always hear stories of people that commit horrible things to themselves and they have so much money and we go, how's that, how's that possible? But yeah. they're right there is the, statement money isn't always the solution yeah so, so you work with people. a society that tells us that it is and it tells what? us again oh, this yeah. is yeah and 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 this is what i mean when i talk about vision and values versus stress and pressure the stress and pressure is often those messages that say you need if you you need to make more money you're not making enough money you know you need to lose weight you need to whatever you need to do this you need to do that you need to mm-hmm. eat this product you need to drink this shake you need to you know and and it's like it works great for them, for the companies that are selling the shakes. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, um, again, we see too, way too many people, you know, more money, bigger house, nicer car, and they're still not happy. Mm-hmm. And um, I find it, I love getting in conversations with people just to remember that the whole concept of money itself is totally made up. It's not even real. Mm-hmm. Money 
money has no meaning other than the meaning that we associate with it. So, right. you know, more money to you means something different than more money to me. And that's not good yeah. or bad or right or wrong. It's just different. Yeah. And it's based on our values. It's based on what's important to you, which chances are is a little different than what's important to me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, mm-hmm. that's the. So what is the basis of making better decisions or making what we what you call excellent decisions? How do you start with somebody? Well, uh, the, the basis, the, the real foundation, and, and this will be very familiar to you because a lot of it comes very much from the work I did with Jack. Uh, one of the foundational pieces that I believe has to be in place in order to, to really make excellent decisions is the willingness to take personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I both learned a formula from Jack called E plus R equals O. The events in our lives plus our response to those events is what determines the outcome. Mm-hmm. And as long as people are living a life where they're blaming and complaining and, you know, making excuses and not taking responsibility, then all this talk about excellent decisions and vision and values and creating change in your life is very entertaining and interesting, but it's probably never going to happen. So, right. so one of the real foundational pieces for me um, is is the the willingness to take 100% responsibility for the results and the experiences that we're creating in our lives. And at that point, it opens up, in my experience, a whole new level of possibilities. It also gets a little scarier because sometimes it's a lot easier <laughs> to just blame other people for what's wrong in my life than have responsibility for fixing it. Yeah. But it, it does open up all the possibilities. And then the other foundational piece that I use in my work before we get to the vision and the values work is I believe it's really important. You know, people want change. It's interesting. I call it the change paradox. People want change. You know, it's natural. It's human, I believe. You know, we desire change. We want to look better, feel better, make more money, you know, go places, whatever, improve our relationships. We want things to be better. And there's nothing wrong with that. And and at the same time, as soon as we make the commitment that we're going to change, we experience resistance. So, you know, yeah. I decide I want to make more money. So I come up with this plan. I'm going to do this new thing. I'm going to make more money. And then we have, oh, my God, you can't make more money. Who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. All this resistance. <laughs> so so people get into this, like, ping pong game of I want to make more money, but I can't make more money. But I want to make more money, but I can't make more money. And I want to lose weight, but I can't lose weight. And you've never been able to lose weight. And they don't get anywhere. They just they're, like, on a treadmill. Yeah. So I believe it's really important for people to understand what I call the dynamics of change. Like what happens when we decide to make a change? Why do we experience resistance, mm-hmm. even if it's a change that we know is good for us? You know, mm-hmm. people say, oh, well, you should, you know, you should be healthier. You know, health is not that complicated. I, I used to do work in the health and fitness industry. I used to joke, it's not that complicated. It's called eat less and move more, you know? <laughs> But You'll I don't healthy. want to. There you go. I mean, there's obviously, I'm, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. There's, there's more involved, but there is some truth to it as well. Right. There's a tremendous amount of help, a tremendous amount of information, resources, support, equipment, facilities, everything out there to help us get in shape. And yet we have this cliche every January 1st, people say, I'm going to get in shape. And we just know on February 1st, you know, they're going to be right back. Where they were. Right. And I believe a lot of it has to do with the fact that people don't understand change. They don't understand right. like how change works. Um, and I, I have a model that I teach. It's actually in my book. Um, if people go to excellentdecisions.com forward slash joy, there's a video that explains this model. And, and again, it's all about the, the beliefs that we hold, the habits that we have, and the way that we think and how that, along with the external influences, the, the media, the social media, the friends, the family, the coworkers, all that, ultimately determines the way we think and the way we act and, and the results that show up. And if we yeah. really understand how that works, then we can start making changes in a way that will get us to where we want to go. It will actually get us there more quickly and easily. And, and I believe, most importantly, in a way that the results will last. Because the other thing that's crazy is people – you know, they make more money, they lose weight, whatever it is. But then a year later, they wake up and go, wait a minute, what happened? <laughs> I was in better I shape and I was yeah. making more money. What happened? <laughs> yeah, it's not fair. We are going, I'm going to interrupt you now because we're going to take a brief intermission here or break saying we will be, come back shortly so that you can tell us more about uh, excellent decisions in your process because it's 
fascinating. And I want those people, we'll repeat again where those people can go listen to your explanation when we come back. Transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Would you like to know how to bring more ease to all the decisions you need to make in life? Knowing your core values is the first step in Joyce's free live masterclass. You'll discover your top five core values in as little as 45 minutes. Join her now at freegiftfromjoyce.com. Welcome back to this segment of Second Win. Joyce Buford, the author of Effortless Happiness, continues in this segment to share insights that will help you live a life of greater purpose and filled with happiness. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. So welcome back. We have been talking with Robert McPhee and he's been sharing with us his excellent decision program, decisions program. And uh, Robert, you were talking before break about the video that they could go to further explain your excellent mm-hmm. decisions. And would you repeat that again so they might pick up on it? Sure. It's, uh, it's excellentdecisions.com. Uh, forward slash joy, J-O-Y. And there's, again, this video there that talks about the dynamics of change that I, I was talking about. There's also a free PDF copy of my book. So if people want to want to see the book in an electronic format, they can get a free copy of it there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I actually, in preparing for our, our discussion today, visited one of the books that I bought back in the time when I was – uh, under a beginner with you and the Jack Canfields. So I'm, my book is underlined. It's all of that. And I have also the partner book with it. There you go. Because they packaged them together. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. So, but I'll take the sticker as she suggested. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, or you can give Joyce the new branding on the book. She's got the, she's been, she's known me so long. She's got the original version. So, <laughs> but it is, it's literally the same book. The only thing that's different is, is the sticker on the cover and a little, uh, little quarter sheet size card that I slip in there to explain to people why the heck there's a sticker on the cover of their book and what that means. So, well, you talk about, um, in, in, our discussion, you talk about in the book comfort zones that we like to stay in and why we like to stay there. And I think that's where you lead, you would probably lead somebody and just talk more about that. Sure. Yeah. And it, it really fits in with that dynamics of change model that we were talking mm-hmm. about because mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, the model is intended to help people understand how change works. So if they want to make change, it's like, you know, it's like the rules of the game. We're trying to win the game, but no one told us the rules. And so a lot of people, again, are experiencing frustration and they've tried to play the game, but they're not feeling like they're winning. So it's, it's intended again to be an explanation of one of the rules or the rules in general. And one of those rules is about comfort zones. And I think most people have heard the expression comfort zone. Someone says, Oh, you need to get out of your comfort zone or you need to expand your comfort zone. And that all sounds really great, right? Like sounds logical. Like I can kind of, but what the heck does that mean? Like most people, if you say, well, well, what does that mean? It just means I'm going to be uncomfortable. Oh, great. That's what I want. Yeah. That's really exciting. Right. So, so the model that I teach, and again, the video is a great way to, to just see it. It's, it's kind of a, again, kind of an experiential piece where when you can see the visual of it, it's it's better than if I'm just talking about it. Uh, but there's two elements of the model. One is our self-image, our beliefs about who we are. And it goes deeply to the, the concept of vision and values that I talk about with excellent decisions. When we're really clear about our values and what's important to us, and when we're clear about a vision like where we want to go, we tend to have a really strong, clear self-image. And then the other, one of the other elements in the model is the results that we're getting. So we're making a certain amount of money and we're living in a certain kind of house and we have a certain kind of relationships and our health is at a certain level and all those things. Those are the results we're getting now. 
And the way that I define comfort zones is when our beliefs about who we are, like what's really important to us, match the results we're getting, then we're in a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, comfort zone is a worse thing to call it because we're not happy about it. When you look at people who are overweight or really struggling financially, whatever it might be, they may not really be comfortable in the sense of like relaxed and calm and peaceful, but it's familiar to them. They've yes. been overweight for a long period of time, or they've struggled with money for a long period of time, or they've been in dysfunctional relationships for a long period of time. Maybe it's been modeled for them by other people when they were growing up or, or, mm. or recently. So they've developed this dynamic where they have an image of themselves. I love to use the health and fitness example because it's so kind of straightforward. They have this image of themselves. I'm overweight. I'm out of shape. I don't like to exercise. That's how they think of themselves. And then they walk up to the mirror and what do they see? They see overweight, out of shape. I don't like to exercise. And, and so they're comfortable. It's familiar. And when they try to make a change, it makes them very uncomfortable, even if it's something that's good for them, because either their self-image or the results they're getting is going to no longer match. Mm-hmm. So we see people who, you know, again, January 1st, somebody tells them they really ought to get in shape. It's usually their wife. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, you, you really ought to get in shape. And they, okay, great. You know, external influence comes in and says, you know, you should really get in shape. Sounds like a great idea. So they, yeah. they go to the gym and they start eating better. And a new result will eventually start showing up called being healthier. Mm-hmm. But if they didn't do the work on their self-image, then they're creating a dynamic of getting out of their comfort zone. Like their new results called getting in shape don't match who they believe they really are. They still think of themselves as an overweight, out of shape person who doesn't like to exercise. Yes. And I believe that's the single biggest reason why people join the gym on January 1st. Mm-hmm. And then on February 1st, we have, where are they going? Where do they go? I don't know where they're, but they're not in the gym. Anymore. And I think it's because they, they never really did the, the self image work. Problem is, you know, people get around the, the work that you do, the work that I do, this whole genre of personal development. And now they're taught, well, you just need to do your affirmations, you know, and you need to look in the mirror and, you know, stick your chest out and say, I am healthy and fit, right? So they're going to work on their self image, right? Mm-hmm. Which is great. I'm a huge believer in that. However, it's really important to know that the first thing that will happen when you do that is again, you will get out of your comfort zone, especially in your, if you're looking in the mirror while you do it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because if I look in the mirror and say, I am healthy and fit, but I'm 50 pounds overweight, what's that voice in my head going to say? You, know, you probably remember Jack would say, you know, how many of you talk to yourselves, right? And raise your hand if you talk to yourself. And he's, oh, well, there's usually two or three people in the room saying, talk to myself. Do I talk to myself? I don't think I talk to myself. <laughs> But the truth is we all do. So I say, you know, I am healthy and fit. And that voice in my head says, you are not. What are you crazy? You've never been able to lose weight, blah, blah, blah. Again, trying to get us back into our comfort zone, trying to get us back to that place that's familiar called our belief about who we are. I'm overweight, out of shape. And what I see in the mirror, the results I'm getting, which is overweight and out of shape. Uh But the the possibility that this opens up once people realize it is that the path to getting what we want is actually changing our comfort zone. And if we start with that declaration of I am healthy and fit, but don't let that self-talk kind of beat us down, like, right. thank you for playing. I appreciate your feedback, but this is important to me. Again, vision and values, like this is important to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for ways that I can be healthier. I know I'm not that healthy now, but who I really am is healthy and fit. So how can I make that yeah. change? And it's not that hard to figure out, right? Like, again, right. move more, eat less, get an accountability partner. Like you were saying, go for a walk. You know, throw away all the chips and ice cream. You know, it's not that hard to think of ideas for decisions that you can make and actions you can take that will help you get healthier. And the beauty of it is if you declare that new self-image, come up with ideas, thoughts of what you can do differently, make decisions that you're going to do those things and then actually do them, you will create more of the result called healthy and fit. But the difference is that it will match your new self-image. Instead of the new result creating, you know, resistance, you've mm-hmm. literally created a new comfort zone based on the result you want instead of the result you don't want. Yeah. 
So again, I really encourage people to watch the video about this. It's, it's very difficult to kind of explain, but when it, when you follow along on a diagram and see how this works with, uh, with your own self image and external influences and, and, and how you can very easily change your approach, starting with working on your self-image, doing the inner work, uh, but eventually getting to that place. And I know you and I agree on this. Um, It's great to visualize. It's great to do affirmations. It's great to meditate. But at some point, and and in my work, the decisions we make are the bridge between the inner work and and getting into action, getting in the game, you know, getting out there and, and being active. Yeah. How do you address the negative thoughts that someone does have? Because that woman that that woman that looks in the mirror and sees a fat woman again, I know you say through affirmations, but the, still there is this dialogue that goes on. And how do you a- address that for them? Well, it's it's very much a multi pronged approach because um, it's it's a huge issue for people and i think one of the one of the myths that's out there and, and part of what i try and kind of dispel the myth is if anybody out there is telling you that they're going to help you eliminate negative thinking turn and run right turn and run um and and maybe i'm wrong if someone has figured out how to do that i'd like to know but i i do not believe it's possible to eliminate the negative thinking right. um what we can do is we can disempower it we can stop like you can stop letting it run the show. It doesn't need right. to be in charge. You know, it's like some you're having a party, somebody showed up uninvited, you don't have to let them in, you know? Uh-huh. You don't have uh-huh. to put them in charge of the party, right? But yeah. that's kind of what we do with our negative thoughts, you know? And again, with that health and fitness example, when you yeah. say I am healthy and fit, and then the negative thoughts will come up. That's what our yeah. mind does. It's trying to keep us safe, that comfort zone. It's safe. It's familiar. We're not dead yet. You know, we'll survive, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But it prevents us from getting to something better. And and there's no real danger to going for a walk and, and throwing away the chips. You know, it's just there's no right. real danger there. But our mind treats it like a life-threatening situation somehow. So so one thing that I do in my work is is disempowering reminding people and giving them specific strategies and techniques that they can use to remember that, yes, that's normal. It's natural. Don't feel like you're broken or there's something wrong with you or you're the only person who has these kinds of thoughts because we all do. I've been doing this work for 20 plus years. My negative thinking hasn't gone away and I I don't expect it will anytime soon. And sometimes as the games get bigger, as we do more and we want to accomplish even bigger and better things, sometimes that talk gets even louder. Like, you know, that who do you think you are to be to be thinking you can do something on that scale? You know, it, it again, it doesn't go away, but we can build the muscle of saying thank you for your feedback. I really appreciate that. And and you can, you know, have a seat right here in that chair. And I'm because I got stuff to do. Like yeah. I got a vision. I got values that are much more important than some uninvited party guest and their opinion. Right. So um, so th- so that's one thing. Um, we also have a whole section in our work about what I call letting go of attachments. And mm-hmm. it teaches people some great strategies for dealing with the way um, that that limiting kind of self-talk and beliefs and, and habits show up. Um, oh, yeah. Concern about the beliefs of other people, judgments of ourselves, um, needing to figure out how, you know, I can't do this because I don't know how. Um, and, and I call those attachments and, and the degree to which we can learn to let go of those attachments, reframe them, see them differently. Um, and again, you, you know, you, you've done a lot of the work with Jack and, and people like him. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some very effective strategies that we can use to not get those, those thoughts, if you will, to go away, right. but interact with them, respond to them very differently. And again, I think the core of it is, is not letting them be in charge. I, I forget who the quote is attributed to, but the, the quote I remember is that the mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. You know, mm-hmm. the, our minds are incredible. When we set our minds to solving a problem, what they can do, unbelievable. But they should, the mind should be a servant of who we really are rather than being in charge because the mind never got any leadership right. training, right? I mean, it's <laughs> scary. Yes, but, you know, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you today is 
part of, when I bought my book, there came with it a partner book, uh-huh. which is uh, it, it's a review. It's a, it's a daily vlog. Right. Why did you want to put this with the book? Why did you feel this was an important part? Well, again, it, it uh, when I was writing the book, I actually stopped in the middle. Mm-hmm. It was like it was like a kind of a divine download for me. I'd thought about writing a book for years, but I never really had something that I felt like was kind of uniquely mine. And and this was different. It definitely felt like it was my message to share. Yeah. And and so I was very much like I was very excited and passionate. And I really wanted to get this out and share it with people. Um, but I also realized that. If I just write the book, if I write the book and then I go out and market the book and sell the book and whatever, mm-hmm. that a lot of people won't get the full benefit of the message because they probably won't do anything with it. And yeah. again, it goes to this, you know, it's just as human beings, you know, and the world we live in, we're busy and it's so easy. Oh, that's a really great idea. I should do that someday. And then shoo, right back into life and someday never comes. Mm-hmm. So the idea of creating a journal, which I actually stopped in the middle of writing the book and created the journal, the first version of the journal was printed at, you know, what was then called Kinko's. It's now FedEx. <laughs> um, but it was just printed on eight and a half by 11 paper and folded in half. And I went to whatever, 10, 12 of my friends or colleagues or whatever, and, and had them try it and, and see mm-hmm. how it worked. And, and the idea was to take the concepts in the book and, and implement them, put them into action, make them unique to your life experience. And, and some of the questions yes. in the journal are about, again, connecting to vision and values. One of the questions mm-hmm. is who are you? And, mm-hmm. and it's broken down into categories. Like really it's looking at what's really important to you. Um, there's a question about what are you intending to attract? You know, what is your goal? What is your vision? You know, where do you want to go? What are you wanting to accomplish? There's a, there's a piece in there about letting go of attachments and, and getting out of the way. Uh, there's a piece about why this is really important to you. And there's also a piece in there about action. And the idea was that if people who the book got their attention, if every single day they went into their day really clear about who they really were, Mm-hmm. what they really wanted, why that was really important to them, what was the, the experience, the feeling, the emotion that was going to be created by accomplishing that. And if they were willing to uh, knew how to get out of their own way and take action, that life would be completely different. Right. And again, the journal, the truth is that doesn't happen, you know, read about it one time, boom, it just happens. Life doesn't work that way. The journal was intended to be a mechanism to help people build a habit. Because if mm-hmm. every day I sit down, and it only takes 10, 15 minutes at the most to do a journal entry, but to remind myself every single day about who I really am, what I really want, why it's important to me, what's kind of getting in the way, and what I need to remember to to work through, and, and what actions I can take. If you did that journal every day for 30 days, now mm-hmm. we're talking about some, some serious change happening yeah. in, in your life and, and in yeah. your perspective. I love the way you compared, um, and I, I've been guilty of using this, uh, question, what do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you want compared to what I am intending to attract? Yeah. I thought that was really interesting the way you brought that forth. I'd never thought of what do I want being coming from lack is what you explained in the book. Yeah, for a lot of people, that's just what comes up is when we when we ask the question, what do we want? We focus on what we don't have. And, yeah. and for a lot of people, that's not a very empowering feeling. Right. And it's just a little I mean, language is so important. You know, if you if you want to know you know, this whole thing about self-image and and the way people think, if you want to know what's going on between someone's ears, really, all we have to do is listen to the way they talk. Um, this whole, you want to, if you want to know whether someone's willing, uh, to take personal responsibility, if they understand the concept of personal responsibility, if they're really living their life in a way where they take personal responsibility, just talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes and you'll find out. Because if everything yeah. they talk about is somebody else's fault and it needs to change, but there's nothing they can do about it and it's not fair and if only my boss would change, blah, 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 you kind of know what you're dealing with. Yeah. And, it goes back to, you know, you were saying you felt so closely connected to the community of people around the Canfield work. I think part of the reason, I'll just speak for myself, part of the reason I felt so connected was I love being surrounded by people who didn't do that, 
who were willing to take responsibility, who held each other accountable. Uh, there's an exercise called can't, won't, where, you know, a certain type of people say, I can't do this, I can't do that. And there's other people who make decisions and say, you know what, that's not important to me. I will not do that. I won't do that. And and it's, you know, in our language, it shows up. And if you <laughs> you hang around with Canfield people and say you can't do something, you better be ready to be called on it because every single person in that community will absolutely say, you can't? <laughs> my daughter, my daughter did that to me once. She was, uh, she was about 15 in high school playing soccer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told her, I'm sorry, honey, I have this big meeting tomorrow, so I can't go to your soccer game. And she crossed <laughs> her arms and rolled her eyes back in her head and said, you can't? Don't you love that? Oh, man. <laughs> but I, you know, at the time, truthfully, I didn't love it. Like in that moment, I was not that happy about it. But, uh, <laughs> but now as I look back on it, I am thrilled. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is the importance of community. I felt very, very, very committed to this community. I made good friendships there. I mean, it was, we were all growing and I still connect, I still connect with some of them very closely. They visited me, I visited them. And so how important is it? Because we speak about the people you hang out with is how, who determines your future. Mm-hmm. And so how, I mean, you had some wonderful experiences in connecting with in the book, in the front, you do many thanks to part of the group of the transformational leadership and their impact on you. How important did you find it in your life in creating who you are today? Well, I think it's, yeah, it's critical. Um, And I think, you know, as you and I are recording this, we're living in a time where people are, you know, kind of sequestered at home and not able to connect on as deep a level. We're doing a lot of uh, Zoom calls and Skype calls and phone calls. And, uh, you know, we're not able to, to be as connected in the in the ways we're used to with our communities. And and I know I'll just speak for myself. I, I find that difficult. I find it a struggle. I really miss the connection. And part of that, in, in terms of the work that I do with helping people create the kind of changes they want to make in their life, the bigger the change, the less likely that you're going to be able to do it on your own. Uh, I truthfully, there's no way I could be doing the work that I'm doing now, certainly not on the level that I am able to do it without having worked with Jack for a long period of time, having through my work with Jack had the opportunity to connect to the Transformational Leadership Council and the Southern California Association of Transformational Leaders. Um, You know, all those communities are incredibly supportive of of me and, and the work that I do. And truthfully, you know, if I tried to do all that myself, um, as much as, as men, we're taught that's what we should do. You know, you, I can do it myself. <laughs> but, but the truth is we can do more. It's easier. We can do it faster and create better results if we're willing to ask for help. If we're, if we're yeah. part of a supportive community that holds us accountable. And, and again, if we have that sense of, of like-mindedness, uh, both those groups that you, you mentioned in my bio and I just mentioned the Transformational Leadership Council and the Southern California Association uh-huh. of Transformational Leaders, both were started because people who are doing coaching, consulting, training kind of work, a lot of times we're working on our own. And we're out there and we kind of feel like we're the lone ranger and we wonder, you know, how can we possibly change the world all by ourselves? Uh-huh. But, you know, I get together twice a year with those groups and, and I feel a sense of connection and a sense of camaraderie and a sense of I'm not doing this alone. There's a whole group of like-minded people who are with me on this mission. And then when I get back to work, it makes it that much easier. I feel like I'm part of something bigger, making a bigger difference, even though, even though I'm doing the exact same work I was doing, you know, the week before. So that sense of community and connection, um, being surrounded by like-minded and supportive people, um, huge, huge value. And, you know, part of my model involves, you know, again, making decisions based on vision and values versus stress and pressure, the external influences. Mm-hmm. And the more we surround ourselves with positive and supportive external influences, the easier life gets. And the more... Right. We're surrounded by whatever, friends, family, media, anything that's 
discouraging or not supportive or distracting or whatever it might be, those kinds of influences are going to make it more difficult instead of easier. Yeah. Certainly we've had to do that in COVID with our experience there and just turning the TV off or staying away from those friends that that's the only conversation they have these days. And so, but I was, you know, I give that information to my women trying to build their lives, build, seek out new communities, seek out, uh, and avoid maybe some of those relationships that don't work in your life anymore because the change of it, if it's through loss of a spouse or through divorce or death or job change, sometimes you can't hang on to the same group that you had. Mm-hmm. And I would think that in your transition, when you were moving from the car parking industry to the motivational industry, I mean, did you not find your world shifting a bit or, oh, or not? Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. It was 180 degrees. And again, it was so funny when I was at that first Canfield training and, you know, I would tell people what I do now and they're like, why are you even here? Like they couldn't even understand what the connection could possibly be. Uh, But truthfully, in any organization, I mean, you know, we were a company and we were parking cars, but most importantly, we were a people company. First of all, we had a ton of employees. So we had our own internal people issues. And then Whenever we were parking a car, it wasn't just a car. It was someone's car. And I think anyone anyone who ever remembers pulling up to a restaurant and, and having to turn over their precious car, you know, for most people, the car is, is either the first or second most valuable possession they have, depending on whether they own a home. Yeah. So. So it's a big deal. There's issues with trust, right? And, and, and you, and building a rapport and creating relationship with people in that interaction called parking a car. So, yeah. you know, it did seem kind of silly that there I was at this, you know, personal development, professional development conference and I was running a parking company. It made no sense, but, but really for any business, it makes total sense, I believe. And, um, and, and I'm also struck as you were talking about, you know, your work is with women, this whole idea of collaboration and who we surround ourselves with. I do believe it's even more important for women. Um, the leadership work that I do, I'm personally thrilled that more and more women are having opportunities to uh, move into leadership roles because a truly collaborative and cooperative and, and feminine in some ways, not, not feminine in a typical sense, but just the way women tend to be versus men in terms of being cooperative and collaborative is a much better leadership model. It's, it's going to work better. Um, and I think that's kind of the natural state of women to be cooperative and to be collaborative. And, and again, you talk about COVID where we're kind of locked at home, uh, having that, that taken away, having the, some of the cooperation, some of the collaboration, be more difficult, uh, be more stressful. I think it's probably got more impact on, on your audience of women, uh, than, than it does on men. So yeah. makes your work that much more important. Yeah. How much do you think we're going to, and this has got to be a brief one, uh, answer, but how much do you think we're going to be involved with, uh, the change of the zoom and interaction of the internet in our life going forward? I know you don't have, have a crystal ball, but yeah, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm definitely not a scientist. I do think um, I'm, I'm very optimistic in terms of how hard the scientists are working and, and the mm-hmm. skill and, and that there is an element of worldwide cooperation. And I do think um, that we will be able to put this behind us and get back to a place where we can do a lot of the things that we've always been able to do in terms yeah. of traveling and gathering in groups and, and those kinds of things. Um, but I do also think it's going to be a while. You know, this is not something it's it's a big deal. I mean, it's a it's a global pandemic. Yeah. And um, and it's not going to go away overnight. Right. Yeah. So, well, I believe the human really enjoys the close connection with individuals. So I 
you know, I think Zoom is convenient, but I don't think it'll take over everything. But I do think it's more convenient in many respects. I can see you now. Yeah, I there never you go. can see you. <laughs> but I thank you so much. We've come to the end of our time. Oh, Robert. Man. I got to get back to work. Oh, no. I want to just hang out and talk to you. <laughs> But I do appreciate all that you've done. How can my uh, in my listeners can get to you through what your website? Yeah, you know that link, that link that I shared before, the excellentdecisions.com forward slash joy is it's you know obviously right there on my website. Okay. I, I don't have twelve gatekeepers. You have to get through to, to find me. Um, right. You know, happy to support your community in any way that I possibly can. And again, if people are interested in just learning a little bit more about what I do and the way I do it, those videos. And um, and the the PDF copy of the book is a great way to just stick your toe in the water and, and get a closer look. Thank you. Well, to you listener out there, the one that is still with us today and hanging on and you've heard and enjoyed this program, maybe you reach out and get this book. I think it's a great way to start in the journal afterwards. I appreciate that you took the time to stop by, that you got to meet my friend Robert. And as you go through this week, decide what's most important to you and decide to start going after it. Take that E plus R equals O. The event equals the outcome. So thank you for being here. Joyce Buford returns next week at the same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving the support they need through their transitions and are able to reclaim their true purpose with confidence. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services at JoyceBufordEmpowers.com.